All right. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the 411 Ground and Pound MMA podcast. We are your weekly look into the wide, wacky, wonderful world of mixed martial arts. My name is Robert Winfrey, and I am your host per usual. Uh, if you don't mind a little bit of the old, uh, the usual stuff here, please interact with the product a little bit. Like, comment, subscribe, star rating, written review, whatever is applicable to your podcast platform of choice, however few there remain in the world these days. Uh, please do so. Feed the algorithm. And help keep us, you know, happy and healthy. And I'm not even going to pretend I get paid for this. I do not have nearly a big enough audience to justify that claim. But, you know, keep everything happy and whatnot and working and the various algorithms that might soon control our lives, depending on how much time you spend online. And as someone who spends far too much time online, yeah, they're... they're, Dude, the algorithmic machinations are kind of real. And (laughs) you can tell. Anyway, um, and if you've done any of that, sharing around is helpful. Social media platform of choice, individual social circle of choice, whatever happens to work in that respect. So thank you very, very much. I appreciate all of you. All right, on the agenda this evening, last night, UFC and ESPN Plus 87. We will talk about all the fallout from that and just very briefly say about that card. I was moderately optimistic, I think. Um, for a variety of reasons, I left with a slightly more sour impression. Some of it was through no fault of anyone. Um, they had a fight fall through the day of, and that means a lot of vamping. Then you had a weird sort of procession of decisions, finishes, and it it just led to a very odd rhythm for the broadcast. And that was felt as a... I felt it, at least, and... I mean, look, when your first 30 minutes is a lot of vamping, and a bunch of it is, like, Daniel Cormier and Alan Joban going back and forth about whether or not Joban jinxed a previous card, because I don't remember the event, but I remember the incident. Um, We had come out of a preliminary portion of the card that was, like, nothing but finishes. And Joban was one of the talking heads at the analyst desk, and when the the cage-side guys run out of stuff to vamp about... Hey, let those go, let the talking heads talk, and we'll, you know, reset stuff down here and whatnot. And, and but, so they had done that, and Joe Ban had been very complimentary and basically jinxed the main card, which wound up sucking. So I remember the incident, and we just spent a bunch of time with Cormier and uh, Joe Ban, kind of playfully ribbing each other about that. Um, but. They, just, they had a rough broadcast, and it's not really their fault this time. Sometimes that's just the nature of the beast. And, you know, when you when you watch enough both fighting or any, any live, especially live, event, you can tell beforehand when you watch enough of it how this, like, okay, how are we doing for content here? I think of WWE specifically. Um... There's a non-trivial chance that someone who watches a lot of it with a critical eye, and since that's one of the things I do, in the first, like, two minutes of an episode, I can tell you, with a shocking degree of reliability, what kind of show we're getting in terms of what's the rhythm. Like, are we hurting for content here? Are we filled? And again, there's, there's stuff you can pick up on if you know how to look for it. So we had, unfortunately, a little bit of that, but... The fights, we'll get into them. Then we will be previewing UFC on ESPN Plus 88. 
these two cards are a little bit, uh, they're very similar in the sense that they're not spectacular. For Fight Nights, they're good on paper, not great, above average. If you want to say there's a meaningful distinction between above average and good, that's where they'd fall. They're not average, maybe a shade under good, so whatever you want to call that. On paper only. Again, just on paper. That's where we are. And they're, we're kind of leading up to UFC 290. Um, which one is it? Is it six? It's the, They're back in Abu Dhabi. It's Makashev and Oliveira, too. You know, it's at four. Six is the end of the year. 294. Don't know why I confused that. You know, maybe it's apropos that um, UFC on ESPN Plus 87 was just a touch cursed. That was technically speaking UFC event number 666. <laughs> I hadn't realized that. Um, but yeah, you know, they should have done something with that. They really like that should have been your hat. That could have been your hashtag. That could have been you could have done something with that. It's Halloween. You actually hit event 666 during the month of October, and you didn't do anything with that? Ah. Again, missed opportunities. That's kind of the name of the game for the UFC these days, I guess. Anyway, point being there, UFC 294 is on the horizon, and we're kind of just marking time until then. And they're hoping to kind of close out the year with a bang. You know, we don't have much time between 294 and then 295. And a pretty decent chunk of time between 95 and 96, which, okay, you know, that's that's understandable given the time of year. You know, you don't when are you going to put your pay-per-view? You don't want to put it too close to the end of, uh, necessarily to the end of November, because Thanksgiving's right around there. You don't want to go too deep into December because Christmas and the New Year's, so you, you got to navigate that space a little bit carefully. I understand that. Um, but... We're just ticking over the clock. We're just, again, machinery turning over. Hopefully we get good events. I'm also going to talk a little bit about Bellator 300 and, you know, some other other loose stuff from the combat sports weekend, I suppose. We'll see. Then a little bit of news. There's some news to talk about, so that's what we've got on the horizon. So, um, yeah, that's what we got. All right, let's, you know, that's the preamble. I don't think I have anything else to talk about here, so let's jump into it, shall we? I don't want to be here forever, and you already know how long this is going to take me, so I envy you your knowledge. All right, UFC on ESPN plus 87. Main event. Um, look, man, I came out last week. I said I'm, I'm not trying to dismiss Bobby Green, but I don't have a compelling reason to pick him. And I was not alone in that sentiment. The odds were pretty heavily. I think Dawson was minus 500, give or take. That's what the UFC had him listed as, and... I don't know who does the UFC stats, or the I don't know who they take their odds from. Um, but Dawson was a significant favorite, uh, I think, by any, uh, no matter who had the book. And I said I didn't want to dismiss Bobby Green. He's not a bad fighter by any stretch of the imagination. In fact, he seems to have found his footing recently in some respects. But I kind of thought this might go similar to Green and Makashev. Or, again, something in that vein. Green struggled a little bit with really persistent, dominant wrestlers. 
Well, turns out Bobby Green knew all that and was like, you know what? Nah, I'm not here for that. Knocks out Grant Dawson in 33 seconds. He came out. Important note here. This is one of those real small things that maybe doesn't, you might not think matters. I think it might have. Green comes out right away and immediately. He doesn't clinch, but he starts pushing forward on Dawson, instantly gets him backing up. Dawson, younger fighter, one of those guys, he's got one loss early in his career. Coming into this, he was like 21 and one, 21 and one, not 21 and one, but 20, 20 wins, one draw and one loss. Hadn't lost in the UFC, had one draw in the UFC when he fought Ricky Glenn. But some of, some of the ways you can stifle a guy like that when they're really full of, you know, they're on the come up, they're full of themselves, maybe not even in a bad way, but just, you know, full of self-belief. Get them on the back foot right away. See how hard it is to get them on the back foot. And Dawson started retreating pretty quickly, and Green just he pushed right into him. It was an interesting way that that played out. Um, not a whole lot. I mean, not a whole lot happened here. You know, we had a little bit of pressure. Then Green was southpaw, and Dawson just got caught, kind of. He was kind of stepping from a more squared stance to a bladed stance and just wasn't as mindful of the angle as he should have been. Green splits his timing, splits his not splits his timing, splits his rhythm. Beautiful left, right to the jaw, drops him, pounds him out on the ground pretty quickly. Um I look, man, I remember Bobby Green when he was hood style. And he was poetry in motion for a bit, but Bobby Green's been in the UFC for over 10 years. He's 37. Uh, he'll be 38. No, he just turned 37. Excuse me. Yeah, just barely turned 37. But still, 37, that's a rough bit place to be in the lightweight division. But he started fighting in 08. I mean, that's what? Five? 15 years? And his UFC debut, I already mentioned it's been 10 years, but he debuted for the UFC specifically after Strikeforce dissolved. His UFC debut was against Jacob Volkman in February of 2013, so he's over a decade. And he's had ups and downs, man. But I mean, let me just read you his UFC run real fast. It's, it's fairly lengthy, but I'll try to be quick about this. So I mentioned Volkman submits him. Has that fight with James Cross where he wins via body kick that was sort of... It was an argument about whether or not it was a low blow. There had been low blows early, which make you more susceptible to the body. It was it was weird, but stops James Krause. Beats Pat Healy. That was a bit of an upset. Um, Healy was a hard-nosed wrestler at that point, and Green held him off. Josh Thompson, split decision, tough fight. Loses to Edson Barboza. Gets knocked out by Dustin Poirier. Drops a split decision to Rashid Magomedov. That was a tough fight for him. Fights to a split draw with Lando Venata. That was actually a really good fight. Beats Eric Koch. Loses to Dracar Close. Loses to Francisco Trinaldo. And, you know, that was in 2019. You might have thought, you know, he's been here for a bit. He had his run. Goes on a pretty decent three-fight winning streak, actually. Beats Clay Guida. Rematches Lando Venata and beats him. Beats Alain Patrick. Loses to Thiago Moises. Loses to Rafael Fiziev. 
That was an interesting fight because Fazeev won the first two rounds, but might have been... Green started coming on a little bit there down the stretch, if memory serves. That was yeah, UFC 265. Yeah, there was one 30-27 for Fazeev that was a little sketchy, but yeah, Green started to put some stuff together. Then he knocks out Ali Aquinta, beats Nasrat Hakparas, fights on short notice against Islam Makashev, loses. Um, fights Drew Dober, loses. Has that fight with Jared Gordon go to a no contest that was earlier this year, then uh, puts Tony Ferguson to sleep, and here knocks out Grant Dawson. That's a, that's not every top lightweight in the world, but lightweight is a division that if you have longevity, what you are is like in the trenches, man. That Your campaign at lightweight, as a general rule, is a series of World War One-style trench warfare battles. You're, it is, you are mucking your way across no man's land, trying to get up the hill. Occasionally, you get someone who streaks through. You get a Connor, uh, for whatever value you want to assign that. But if you're in the UFC's lightweight division for a long period of time, you're, you've got battle scars for that, man. You've been up, you've been down, you've had the tough fights, you've had the tough losses, you've had fights you maybe should have won that didn't, you've won fights you maybe shouldn't have on occasion. It's just, it's rough. It's just rough. So, I, much as I got that prediction wrong, I'm not going to feel bad about it. I, I can't, I have to feel good for Bobby Green, man. Man, a guy I've watched for a long time. I watched not only his Strike Force days, I remember some of his King of the Cage stuff. Like, this guy's been around, and look, I've been somewhat skeptical and cynical about Grant Dawson being ranked number 10 in the UFC's lightweight division coming into this, and I think skeptical with good reason. He'd never beaten a ranked opponent, to the best of my research and recollection. Now, that being said, was Grant Dawson still, you know, the bright prospect whose ascension had been somewhat unheralded even? Yeah, he was. And yeah, I picked him. But you know, Green turning him back, I, you know, just, I, I, I feel good for Bobby Green, man. That's a guy who's trying to give his kids the best that he can. He's publicly talked about this. And seeing him kind of start a late career resurgence may not be the right word, but a late rally. I mean, again, 37. I'm not saying he can't do this forever. Uh, Nobody can do this forever. I'm not saying he's going to retire in the next two years, but I wouldn't be shocked if he did. There's a toll that this takes on you. But seeing him really kind of get this rally going he's got, it's, it's heartwarming. It's heartening. Uh, after the fight, he said he would like to... F- um, he didn't call out anyone specifically. What kind of got floated was... And then th- stuff that's been floating around a bit was him and Dan Hooker. Um, yes, please. <laughs> it would... Dawson being ranked 10 was highly speculative. I don't think Bobby Green will take number 10. The UFC's rankings are weird, but that would be a bit much. A fight with Dan Hooker would be, because uh, Dan Hooker at the moment, whether he changes this um, this status quo later or not remains to be seen. At the moment, Dan Hooker, and I, I have enjoyed a lot of Dan Hooker fights, he's a top 
10-ish gatekeeper, somewhere in that space. Again, maybe not 10, you know, generally between like 8 and 12 is where he's floating, and that's the, he's a good, at the moment he's a gatekeeper for that space. So, seeing him and Green fight would be, that would be a real serious acid test for whether, because if, if Green's actually found his rhythm, found his footing, and is going to make some kind of a push, Dan Hooker's going to test that. And I think the fight would be great. So I'm I am completely down with that fight. The fact that they've both like in addition to saying yes I'd like to fight, we're doing like yes, yeah, screw Hanato Moicano. <laughs> um, amused me for reasons I I don't even I don't know the genesis of that beef, but um, it amused me. So lightweight's in a weird spot, man. You know you've got the champion Islam Makhachev is going to rematch Charles Oliveira. Islam's talking about wanting to fight for the welterweight belt. And Justin Gaethje does complicate this just a bit, but mostly because we haven't seen him in Makashev. But there's a real argument you could make right now that the actual number one contender at lightweight is Alexander Volkanovsky. Given that he's, you could argue he won that first fight with Makashev. I don't know how. I scored it for him in real time. I don't object to it going to Makashev. So I, I've been over that. But other than that, you're in this weird spot, man. You got... How was it? I saw this on... Somebody did this on Twitter and it amused me, but there's some truth to this. So hang on, let me, let me find this exactly because it's... Um, it should also have... Yeah, here it is. So... Oliveira, former champ, next fighting for the belt. Justin Gaethje, probably next in line after Oliveira, depending on what we do with Makashev. And Dustin Poirier, sitting at number three, he won't fight down in the rankings. As a general rule, he's looking for bigger money fights. Number four, Benil Daryush. Dude, that guy. I don't have this as its own um, um, like news bit later, but... Kind of came out during this last week. He signed to fight Armin Saryuki, and I'll talk about in a minute or two. Dude, Daryush will fight anybody. Just anybody. And bless him for it. Then you got Michael Chandler, who's waiting on Connor. More on that later. You got Mateusz Gamrot, who has some good wins, and he's got some weird wins. <laughs> You got Rafael Fiziev, who um, we, it was confirmed he tore his ACL, is going to be out for a year, in all probability. So he's out of the picture. You got Saryukian, good prospect, but his developmental issues are starting to rear their head, and there's some seasoning that needs to happen. Hooker at number nine at the moment, gatekeeper. You had Dawson at 10. Now, you again, you have something like Bobby Green. Rafael Dos Anjos is 11, for no discernible reason. Jalen Turner, who just had the loss to Hooker, so another guy who, Jalen Turner's another guy who you're, you're prospecting with him, you're speculating, not unfairly. You've got Moicano at 13, who's in a weird spot, and he got destroyed by Rafael, by RDA when they fought. Matt Frivola, who's good for an action fight, but we don't know if he's good for more than that. And then you got, um... Diego Fajera. 
And I'm not sure what he's up to these days. <laughs> That's the top 15, and then you have Makashev as champion, obviously. It's a weird spot, man. Like, look, lightweight is a great division. It turns in pretty good fights. It's one of the best divisions in the sport. We can also acknowledge that the division's health at the moment is a little bit... Eh. Like, there's some turnover that needs to happen, and we're just not there yet, so... But, yeah, that was your main event, so I don't know what... I'm down for Green and Hooker. Both those guys seem down for it. Sweet. Good fight. Easily could main event a fight night with that one. Bring it on. Um, sucks for Dawson, but you usually get this with prospects like him. Especially if they're, like, good early, have a setback, go on a big run. They eventually wind up hitting some kind of a roadblock. In his case, it was a crafty veteran who got in his head right away and then got his timing very, very quickly. I, my hunch is he'll rebound. Like, it's never good to lose, but unless this exposes him as being super chinny and given some of the other fights he's had and some of the other punches he's taken, I don't think he is. I imagine he'll bounce back and be okay. He's still young. He's still got a lot of ability, but a loss like this is not does not necessitate or does not immediately indicate the end of the world. Uh, so I, I expect him to bounce back. So co-main event, middleweight Joe Pfeiffer chokes out Abdul Razak Al-Hassan via arm triangle, 205 of the second. Some interesting stuff here. Um, Al-Hassan, very upright in his posture, got taken down pretty easily more than once. Um, what I think... What can you you can take away from this a couple of things. Pfeiffer's willingness to do that, I appreciate. His offensive punching is very head-oriented. Alassan was able to block and catch and just kind of absorb a bunch of it and then counter back. Might be troublesome. Someone with a defensive first mindset to absorbing that pressure and then countering will give him problems. Um, Pfeiffer susceptible to calf kicks. They were not. He was not happy with those. Um, it led to the finish when he hit his double. When he hit, he had a double leg into half guard. Alessandro had kind of wrapped the head. Uh, so Pfeiffer's like half working on a Von Flu choke. Um, Alessandro realizes that, lets go, but is now trapped in a, one of the dangers of wrapping the head when you go down. You can get arm triangled. So Pfeiffer, again, keeps the position, uh, uses hip smash pass into mount, moves aside control. Lock the choke down. Um, Alassane taps, but he taps with his fist. And the referee, like, hey, are you tapping? And then he's unconscious, so he checks the arm, like, okay, no, we're done. Like, if you're going to tap, you do kind of have to make that a very visible thing. Tapping with a fist, you could just be punching them, which is not effective, but it's also not tapping, so. But, uh, yeah, calf kicks might be a problem for Pfeiffer. He slowed a bit, like, he had a good explosion to get the takedown at the end, but his, like, fervor for the fight had kind of faded just a bit, and getting hit hard in the calf sucks. That'll do that to you. So, a few things to note for Pfeiffer going forward about that. Um, not a whole lot to say about Al-Hassan. He's still kind of who he has been for a while. Welterweights. Joaquin Buckley defeats Alex Morono via unanimous decision. Two 30-27s and a 30-26. 30-26 totally justified. I'm surprised there weren't more 10-8s for that third. I didn't in real time. I did get, this is one of those, there's a couple of things I rewatched here before this show, because I got them wrong in real time, and I wanted to see, like, 
why, what happened, do I agree with my past self? Should have been 10-8 here from me. Past self did not do that right. Um, Buckley just powerful. Fast, um, fast hands. Decent movement. Morono's constantly moving, and it's given guys problems. Morono, I mean, Morono had moments of success here. I don't mean to undersell that. The third round should have been 10-8. Yes, that was a bad round for Morono. But the other two, like, he lost them, and he lost them fairly, but they were competitive. Um, Buckley at 170 seems to be something. I mean, he was, he was up and down at uh, middleweight, but here at welterweight, he's got his height is more suited for this division. If he's got his diet under control, the man is, he is built. Um... I mean, he was visibly muscular at 185. Cutting down, like, dude is shredded. Um, if he's able to keep that under control, he's got a good frame for the division. He's thick. Um, and clearly powerful. Fast hands. Curious to see what he does going forward. He's looked good in his two welterweight fights. Because he, when he beat up Andre Fialho, and beating up Morono is no easy thing. Um, yeah, I'm very curious to see what he does. A lightweight, Drew Dober stopped Ricky Glenn, 236 of the first with punches. About what everyone expected here, I think. Um, both men southpaw, Dober just able to start finding his left hand around the open, the lead guard, the lead hand of Glenn, cracked him a few times, dropped him, got the finish. Good stuff from Dober. Um, and kicking off the main card, Bill Algio defeated Alexander Hernandez via unanimous decision, 30-27 across the board. Um, interesting stuff from, interesting stuff here. Hernandez still has some ability. I'm not, he looked better here at featherweight than he did when he fought, um, Billy Quarantillo. Part of that is because Billy Quarantillo is an animal. That dude has an absurd pace. And ability to absorb and kind of just deal with damage. Because if you'll recall their fight, Billy lost that first round. Then the second, just his pace, man. He just melted Hernandez. Algio didn't quite do that. A bit more surgical. But Hernandez struggled to really assert himself. He landed some pretty good body shots. I actually appreciate that he was doing that very intelligently. He struggled to reach the head. Go to the body. It's a lingering target. Some leg kicks would have helped in that respect. Early on, he kept... Because um, Algio does a fair bit of switching. He seems to like operating southpaw. Hernandez really wanted, I think, open stance. I'm not sure why, but he did. So he landed again, landed some body shots, but he was getting countered. The length difference was a problem that he struggled to navigate consistently. He found moments of success, but... Um, really good win from Bill Algio here, in all honesty. Um, pretty good leg kicks, good long-rangey punches. I'd rather his hands were a bit more up at times, and I'd rather... There's certain punches he throws that, you know, he's just very, very used to this being the last blow of a co of either a combination or he's throwing it to move. Following it up would have been nice. Um, something to work on in the future, I suppose. But Hernandez is in a kind of a rough spot, whereas um, Algio, after the fight, said, like, he called out a bunch of people, some of which were silly. Because he, because uh, Cormier says, you know, you gotta have a name. Do you, who do you want to see next? And he said, like, my callouts never work. So, how about the following? And he produced the list. 
I think I have Billy Quarantillo, um, Fauci. <laughs> um, not that I have any, I don't have a lot of good things to say about, you know, Fauci, but asking to fist fight a whatever 70-year-old man seems a little bit much. Um, the other ones, hang on, I, I wish to look this up now, because I, I, I had it written down. Yeah, Billy Quarantillo, Cron Gracie, yeah, he mentioned Fauci, Nate Landwehr, or Mark Zuckerberg. <laughs> you know, again, if the gag is my callouts never work, so I'm going to shotgun feces at the wall and see what sticks, I appreciate the gag. Um, Quarantillo seemed interested in a fight between the two of them in December. Obviously, we have to see how that plays out, but... Um, good win for Algio. Good win for Algio in that respect. Uh, that was the main card. Prelims. Uh, Karolina Kovalkiewicz defeated Diana Belbicha via unanimous decision, 30-27 across the boards. Live, I gave Belbicha the first. I'll kind of stand by that. But this was a very women's MMA fight in the following way. If you watch a lot of women's striking, not all of it, but a lot of it, especially mid to low tier, they circle, they both come in, they have their combination, like they're hitting pads, and then they back off, circle, repeat. I, I think at times I've likened it to that bit from a Simpsons episode where, you know, all the Simpson men are in a circle and two guys have pots on their heads and they circle each other and then, and then run into it and just, then run into each other like billy goats. Um, it's this was kind of that. the The difference was after the first round, Carolina's corner told her, "Hey, throw the right uppercut." She keeps coming in. She's got, you know, the, the like, high Muay Thai shoulders and high guard position. She ducks when she comes in. Change your right straight to an uppercut. You'll land and you'll do damage. And then that's all she did. She substituted that punch for her, her other punch, and it worked. Eh, that's what it was. Um, flyweight Nate Manus defeated Mateus Mendonce via TKO um, punches and hammer fists on the ground. 440 of the first. Um, Manus pushed forward right away. Mendonch either didn't like the power or really wanted to tie up. He wound up going for the leg repeatedly, kept trying for leg locks, and Manus was hip to it, defended and hit him repeatedly until eventually hurt him badly enough to force the stoppage. Solid win from Manus. He called out CJ Vergara after the fight. Very reasonable call out. Uh, women's strawweight. This is another one I got... I had a very different scorecard in real time. I want to talk about it briefly. Uh, Vanessa Demopoulos defeated Kaneko Murata via unanimous decision, 28-28 across the boards. So here's the thing. Live, I was 30-27 for Murata. Freely going to admit I got round one wrong. Um, don't quite know what I was doing there. Um, got it wrong. I, I shouldn't say I don't know what I was doing. I can see why I got it wrong, still got it wrong, million percent, not correct. My bad. Doing this live is fraught with peril and is not always accurate. I'm more than willing to admit when that happens. Happened here, got the first round wrong. Round three, everyone gave to Murata. Round two is the one that I would dispute just a bit. Well, well dispute's the wrong word. That's the one I think needs a more fine-toothed examination. So... Actually, let me double-check the official scorecards here. 
Um, because I am curious about this one. Uh, yeah, all three judges gave Murata the, the third. So the second is the one that I would kind of like to take a brief look at here. So the argument here is that Murata had takedowns and some control, which she did, but that doesn't win you the fight if your opponent is doing more damage, being more active. And Demopolis was a, the more active fighter, even off of her back in the second round. That's the argument. Having rewatched that round, I have arrived at the conclusion that I don't care. Um, I think 29-28 either way for that round is fine. If you want to... If you do lean more heavily towards damage, and in theory that's what the criteria calls for, but we all know how universally that's applied, Demopolis could win. I'm not, I'm not bad out of shape about that one. Um, again, doing it live, I kind of went, you know, I thought Murata should have had it. Rewatching the second in particular, Murata's wrestling is very good. She stifles almost every like position or move in that respect that Demopolis makes. But she doesn't have a lot of offense behind her control, and that is kind of a problem. The size disparity between these two kind of shocked me when they were next to each other. Like, Demopolis looked a weight class bigger. I wonder if Murata wouldn't be better served at Adam weight, which I know the UFC doesn't have. But, and I haven't, it was just surprising to see Demopolis as, like, the demonstrably larger woman. So. Um, again, real time, I was more for Murata. Rewatch slash rethink. 29-28 either way is fine, and the fact that all three judges went 29-28 for Demopolis doesn't bother me one iota. So. Uh, yeah, sucks for Murata coming back after a pretty decent layoff, but she's got to get her ground and pound going more decisively. She had opportunities for it, and especially in that second round um, that she should have taken. That would have made that a much... She could have won this fight. Put it like that. There's a couple of very minor decisions that she could have changed and won this fight. Uh, next up at Bantamweight, Ordici Long defeated Johnny Munoz via unanimous decision. 29-28s across the board. First round, Munoz doesn't love the power of Orichi Long. Gets a takedown, gets the back, rides out most of the round there. Second and third, he can't get takedowns. Orichi Long is able to keep up, keep a distance, batter him with punches and kicks. Um, goes into his guard a handful of times and does some work from there. Pretty su there was There might have been an opportunity at various points for Orichi Long to maybe hunt for a finish, but some of that is... Outside observation going, you know, maybe, and, you know, I, I'm not in there. I don't know how the other guy feels. Occasionally, it's obvious when someone's, like, kind of ready to go, and if you can't get them out of there when they're ready to go, it says something about you, but I'm not going to hold this one against uh, Orichi Long here. Pretty solid win for him. Him at bantamweight, because um, he struggled early at flyweight in his career. At bantamweight, he's 3-1. and one. He's only lost in that weight class, um, in the UFC at least, to Eamon Zahabi. So, curious to see what he's able to make of himself. And kicking everything off, uh, J.J. Aldrich defeated Montana De La Rosa via unanimous decision, 30-27 across the boards. 
I might, I think I gave De La Rosa the first, which I might actually stand by, but Aldrich, two and three, not too much. I had a brief moment of hope in this fight. You see, after it was over, um, there was some brief discussion about, well, you know, it was mostly a striking affair, and a, you know, we're not quite sure how some of these rounds were scored. And Daniel Cormier said, if Aldridge doesn't win, I'm leaving. And I had to, and I suddenly had a rooting interest in this fight. <laughs> I, I do not like Daniel Cormier's commentary. Um, but Delarosa, she tried like one takedown all fight. You were never going to beat J.J. Aldrich in a pure kickboxing affair. Um, which is just what we got, and eh, there we are. Uh, you may have noted I did not mention a fight of the night. None was awarded. Um, little bit unfortunate. I thought Algio and Hernandez maybe could have gone there. Our performances of the night went to Bobby Green, Joe Pfeiffer, Drew Dober, and Nate Maness. So one of those get a finish, get a bonus nights. Yeah, Maness, Dober, Pfeiffer, yeah. Which the UFC could do every time, but they don't. Because reasons. Um, yeah, that's that was the event. My full report is in the MMA Zone of 411mania.com. Again, keep in mind that I've, having rewatched a couple of those fights, like, yeah, I, I do not agree with my live scoring. But if you want to read that, it's over there. I'd appreciate it. Um, all right, let's let's move on. We'll do the combat sports. We'll do the weekend stuff, uh, the other MMA events after we preview this upcoming card. So let's do that first. So UFC on ESPN plus 88. Will be coming our way Saturday, October 14th from the Apex, once again. The fact... Th oh, last thing on the previous fight, and we'll get to this. Um, we had been scheduled to get Felipe Linz um, versus Iwan Kutelaba. That fell out. Linz had some kind of an illness. Commentary kind of buried him a little bit. Saying that, you know, this might be a mental thing and he's just manifesting an illness. And I... I've... Look, I get the promotional frustration with Linz. That's the second time I think he's had an issue on, like, fight day. But I'm not I'm not a big fan of how that was handled, just if I can be honest. So we're not sure they're going to try and rebook that. I don't know if it's going to be moved to this coming card. That's kind of why I brought that up. That had been hinted. It might move later. It might fall apart entirely. Who knows? So let's get into this card. Main event, Featherweight, Super Sadiq Yusuf and Edson Barboza. Curious about this one. Uh, Yusuf is... He's been out for about a year. He beat Don Shanus last time out. He's on a pretty... Dude, his UFC run, he's got, what, one loss? Yeah, so he, his UFC um, resume goes as such. He debuts, beats Suman Mokhtarian, beats Shaman Marais, beats Gabriel Benitez... Beats Andre Feely, loses to Arnold Allen, tough draw. Beats Alex Caceres, and beats Don Shanus. Then, I'm not sure why he's been out for a year. Um, he's getting a step up in class. Uh, Edson Barboza, another guy who's been around forever. I've watched, I've watched his entire UFC career. He's been here for 13 years, almost November of 2010. I watched his live debut. I've, I. Did I cover 123? I don't know. I might have. 
I was watching. I remember because he stops Mike Lulo with leg kicks. One of the first times that it happened in the UFC. Might have been the first. Beats Anthony and Jaquani. Um, has that good fight with Ross Pearson. Knocks out Terry Adam with a wheel kick. Significant upset when he lost to Jamie Varner. Wins three more. Loses to Donald Cerrone. Wins a couple. Loses. And that's kind of been back. In, dude, his fight with Tony Ferguson was nuts. Um, if you haven't seen that one. From 2015, it was one of my fights of the year. Uh, great fight. Beats Anthony Pettis, beats Gilbert Melendez, beats Benil Daryush, loses to Khabib, and that kind of changed his fortunes, man. Um, between Because he, he fought uh, Khabib, who changed his face, and then he fought Kevin Lee, who kind of did the same thing. He stopped Dan Hooker after that, but it just it was downhill. Then he fought Justin Gagey and got knocked out. Lost a split to Paul Felder. That was a close fight. Lost. Then he moves to featherweight. Loses split decision to Dan Ige that most people kind of thought he should have won. Um, beats Makwan Amir Khani. Knocks out Shane Burgos. Loses to Giga Chikaze. Loses to Bryce Mitchell. Beat Billy Quarantillo his last time out, though. Um, this, again, this is kind of a tough one. The layoff's a bit of a problem for Yusuf, but Barboza's just another guy who's been in the trenches, man, just forever. Lightweight, then featherweight, uh, no easy fights for that guy. I shouldn't say no easy, like, his first couple, you know, Mike Lula washed out pretty fast, but he was, what, se- Barboza was only, like, 7-0 and at the time. That was his seventh fight, actually. So he was 6-0 and coming into the UFC. I mean, Anthony Njikawati was not an easy touch. He was coming in off the, the WEC merger. That was a tough fight. Then Ross Pearson was not an easy out. I mean, he's If we, excluding Mike Lula, hang on, what would be his quote-unquote easiest fight? I have no idea. Maybe Rafaela Oliveira? Because he fought Danny Castillo after that, beat him, then fought Cerrone, then Evan Dunham, Bobby Green, Johnson, Felder, Ferguson, Pettis. I already talked about this. Okay. Probably then Makwan Amir Khani. If it's not Mike Lulo, it might be Amir Khani, stylistically, but... That, that just seems to be catching up to Barboza here. But the layoff from Yusuf be a problem. Five rounds, though. Has either guy been five rounds? Barboza's been scheduled for five before. Uh, his fight with... Um... Tired. Sorry, my brain just short-circuited. Um, Lee. His fight with Kevin Lee was for the interim title. And when... It was scheduled for five. I think it stopped in the fourth. Fifth. It was uh, about halfway through the fifth when the doctor stopped it. I think that's his only five-rounder. Uh, okay, now he was scheduled for Chica- with Chikadze to go five. That ended in the third. Yeah, he struggled with pressure. That's been kind of a problem for him for a while. He's got you know, good kicks, good punches, and physically very strong. So's Yusuf, and Yusuf is—he's got hammers, man. He—if he's smart, he'll pressure. 
If this were three rounds, I might lean towards Barboza. With five, I'm going to lean towards Yusuf, though, so. Uh, next up, women's flyweight Jennifer Maya and Viviani Arujo. Maya is on a two-fight winning streak. Bit of an upset when she beat Casey O'Neill. Um, Arujo. Tough run lately. One in three in her last four. Lost to Caitlin Chukagi and Alexa Grasso and Amanda Hebos. There's a degree to which that level of opposition, you give her some credit. And Chukagian, perennial gatekeeper. Grasso, current champion. Hebos, Hebos has been up and down. That's not a good loss. Um... I think, given how they match up, I might actually lean towards Arujo here. But she might be in do or die as it pertains to top of the division stuff. Maya's a tough out. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to head... This is speculative. I'm going to lean towards Arujo, but... I have idle curiosity. I imagine Maya's the favorite, actually. sake of my own curiosity. Yeah, they've got my uh, slight favorite. I I'm still going to lean towards Arujo, but that tracks. Uh, Bantamweight, good fight here. Um, really good fight here. Jonathan Martinez and Adrian Yanez. Um, Martinez... Doesn't have a lot of, um, anytime they try to put the mic in his, the camera in his face and put the mic in front of him, he's, he's not a big talker. He's not, he, clearly a little bit skittish in that respect, but dude has found himself lately. He had a tough debut, losing a fight he probably should have won. Won a couple, lost a tough split decision. Won a couple, got into a firefight with Davey Grant and got stopped. Um, but since then... 5-0, stopped Cub Swanson with leg kicks, got an upset when he beat Saeed Nurmagomedov. I didn't, ex I thought uh, Nurmagomedov was going to win that. Nope, Martinez made that work. Uh, really like Martinez, and I like Yanez. He's got a lot of abilities coming off of that loss to Rob Font, though. Um, how he rebounds from that's going to be important. How old are these two? Yanez is 29. Martinez also 29. I'm... Man, that's tough. Okay, this is a great fight. Martinez is a bit more of a complete MMA fighter. Yanez invites a little bit too much damage, but he's got really good boxing. He's really good counters when he gets them going. Uh... Really good fight. My, I'm gonna lean towards Martinez. I, I hate picking against Yanez. I don't. Him losing two in a row. Yeah, this is a, this is a tough rebound fight from that from that Font loss. Like, oh, you just you know you had your first UFC loss. You got stopped by Rob Font. Yeah, that was tough. Here, go fight Jonathan Martinez. That is that is some rough matchmaking, man. Um. 
Currently, I'm looking at um, what am I looking at? Like best fight odds? Yeah, they they've got they've actually got. Um, this is dead even. Uh, and a few different outlets, a few different outlets have one guy, one as young as favored, one as Martinez favored. So, um, a good matchmaking in the sense that this is a great fight. I'm gonna lean towards Martinez. He's getting a little bit of an acid test here again. He's on a pretty good run, and beating Said Nurmagomedov is that was big for him. That was real big because Said. He's a he's the real deal, man. He's a he's a tough fighter. He's a very good fighter. Um But the loser of this is gonna have to do some non trivial rebuilding. And honestly, just looking at their games, I think Yanez is the guy who needs a bit more help with his game. Um And I hate to say that because I love his game. Like I, I like yeah, I like both these guys as fights. I like to watch them fight. But I'm gonna lean towards Martinez just a bit here. Really good fight though. Uh, flyweight Edgar Shadrez and Daniel Lacerda feels like these two fought very very recently. Not against each other, but yeah, Shadrez fought at um, UFC Noche if memory serves. And Lacerda, when did he last fight? Again, I feel like it was recent. Um, Shidra's... Oh, these two fought to the no contest. Right, 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 right. Yeah, they did fight each other recently. He had the bad stoppage call. Um, okay. So we're just rematching that one. That's fine enough. But what did we learn from that first fight? Hey, I think I'm going to lean towards Shadras just a bit. Um, the odds have him as a pretty decent favorite. I think the fight... Dude, if you can get, like, plus 200 money on Lacerda here, that might be a... You don't mind losing. That might be a decent value bet. Um, I, I don't mind Shardes being favored, but that margin seems like you're asking for trouble. Just putting that out there. Then at Bantamweight, Cameron Simon and Christian Rodriguez. A couple of you guys who have looked pretty decent lately. Um, Rodriguez, 2-1 and one in the UFC. Um... Yeah, the UFC's mad at him because he beat Raul Rosas Jr. <laughs> um, lost to Jonathan Pierce, then the, the two wins, and again, the most recent one over Rosas. They gave him a fighter who's a, yeah, a little bit wild on occasion. It is also pretty good. Um, Simon is 9-0. What, 2-0? and 3-0 in the UFC. His first two fights were... There was some uh, there was some controversy about again. He, I think he was just a little bit too keyed up, a little bit too reckless, and he landed some illegal blows that um, could have cost him. Uh, the last one though, when he beat Terrence Mitchell, was actually again was clean. So maybe he's finally settled down in that respect. But you know, he's a young guy. He's got less than ten total fights. I'm not, I'm not going to kill him for it. I, I don't like it, but I'm not going to kill him for it either. Going to lean towards Simon here. 
Um, again, this feels a little punitive by the UFC because Rodriguez ha uh, bunkied with their favorite hype machine at the moment. So, yeah, I'm going to lean towards Simon. Ooh, a lot of places have Rodriguez as the favorite. Interesting. Not going to change how I pick. Like, if, I, if I'm going to lean toward... It's a close fight. I don't mean to say that, but I... Eh, again, read the tea leaves a little bit there. Going with Simon. That's your main card at the moment. I imagine there's an announced middleweight fight between Michelle Pereira... Uh, excuse me, Pereira. And uh, Andre Petrosky. I imagine that'll be main card. So for the sake of argument, let me just put it here. Feels a little like another kind of gimme for Petrosky. The UFC like him. Um, he had that tough fight with Gerald Mershart, man. He could have lost that. I seem to recall scoring that for Mershart. Um, and, you know, Pajera is a wild man. Pajera's on a good run, actually. But four, five in a row? Ponzinibbio win was pretty big. I actually might favor Pajera there. Like, they're, they're try they like Petrosky a bit more, but his uh Pajera's current form kind of feels like it's kind of feels like it's uh, going to give him some problems, especially after he had problems with Mershart. So, all right, prelims: uh, Darren Elkins and T.J. Brown. Brown's been out for a bit, hasn't he? No, he fought. Am I confusing him with someone else? I think I am. I know I am. Okay. Um, he's not had a great run in the UFC. Three and four. Lost to Bill Algio last time out. Lost to Jordan Griffin, Danny Chavez. Um, Shailamon Nurdanbeke, and the, I've mentioned Bill Algio. Um, look, I don't like picking Darren Elkins. I really don't. <laughs> but... Unless the wheels have completely fallen off, this is the kind of fight he wins. Maybe they have, but I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt at the moment for that one. So. Um, another time Brown's the fa Look, I'm not going to be shocked if Brown wins. Darren Elkins is... Darren Elkins perpetually looks like four miles of bad road before he gets hit. But, I don't know. I'm just not completely sold on Brown being able to deal with that pace. Might be wrong. And again, if Elkins, this, if Elkins loses here, this, that is the last time I'm ever going to pick him. Uh, lightweight, Terrence McKinney and Chris Duncan. Double check Duncan here real fast. this fight, did we? Get moved around. Apparently this had issues with, um, apparently this is off. Duncan had visa issues. Okay. Assuming it goes through and I'm not. Oh, Duncan seems to be out, but we have someone else for Terrence McKinney in the form of Brendan Marat. I might have picked McKinney over Duncan, I don't have a problem picking him over a late-notice replacement fighter. I'll go with McKinney there. Uh, women's bantamweight, Irina Alexkiva and Melissa Dixon. 
Let me have a look here. Um, Alex Giva had a... She won her UFC debut, didn't she? She had the Russian Ronda. Yeah, yeah. So she's 1-0 in the UFC. She beat Stephanie Edgar. She missed weight for that, though. That's never good. Um, Dixon is 5-0. and Her UFC debut tonight for this card. That's actually relatively tough. Um, Dixon not coming in via the Contender Series, which would give me a different feel for how, they're, <laughs> for how they might be setting this up. Two women, they've got 11 fights between them. Um, let me lean towards Alex Giva, but eh, I, I would not bet money on that fight. Bantamweight. Pretty good fight here, actually. Chris Gutierrez and Alatong Hele. So, Gutierrez lost to Pedro Munoz his last time out. That was a tough fight. He knocked out Frankie Edgar in Edgar's retirement fight before that. Dude, that loss to Munoz ended a really good run he was on. It was his second loss in the UFC. So, he debuts, loses to Hani Barcelos. Tough fight. Um, beats Ryan McDonald. Beats Geraldo, uh, Geraldo de Freitas. Beats Vince Morales. Fights to a draw with Cody Durden. Beats Andre Ewell, beats Felipe Colares, beats Danal Batgari, knocks out Frankie Edgar, then runs into Munoz, who's ended up kind of being a bad matchup for him. Um, whereas uh, Alatong Hele um, won his last two. I got one loss in the UFC. That was to Kevin Casey. This is a step up for Alatong. Um, lost, he, he will beat Dana Batkari, Ryan Benoit, again, the last two were Kevin Kroom, and then Chad and Helliger. This is a step up for him. Gutierrez definitely represents a step up. Um, I'm okay leaning with Gutierrez for this one. Um, I just, I don't, there's still a fair amount of, like, upside to Alatong, but uh, you're stepping to a guy who's proven a lot more than you have at this level, so gonna go with Gutierrez. And we've got Ashley Yoder versus Emily Ducati. Yoder is not having a good time. It's not had a good time of it in the UFC. Um, lost her first three, one two, lost two, one one, lost two. Um, Kind of a gimme for Ducati. Ducati's one and two in the UFC. I wouldn't call it a gimme. This might be loser leaves town. In that particular respect. Um, yeah, I, I can't pick Yoder. And in theory, somewhere on this card, we will have Tainara Lisboa and Havena Oliveira, Brazilian. Yeah, Brazilian. So Havena. So Havena Oliveira. Um, Lisboa had a pretty decent debut, didn't she? Yeah, she kind of beat the crap out of Jessica Rose Clark. <laughs> uh, Oliveira, I believe this is her UFC debut. She is 7-1-1 one one overall. Seven-fight winning streak, though. I'm still going to go with Lisboa, but... Yeah, going with Lisboa there, but... Uh, that's... Not the worst matchmaking you could think of.
Uh, yeah, and that's the card. So, Saturday, I will be covering it in the MMAZona411mania.com. Stop by, say hello. I always appreciate it. All right. Oh, we're moving at a pretty good clip here. All right. So, let's talk very briefly about Bellator. So, Bellator 300 took place over the... Uh, dude, Saturday was busy, man. You had two different professional wrestling events going on between AEW's Collision, which was apparently kind of meh, and WWE Fastlane, which I don't know how to feel about that one because I've seen very I've seen very different reactions to it, and somewhat naturally, if you like look at comments and whatnot, the favorable ones like yes, finally someone who actually saw the event. Now the negative ones are full of people going, yeah, you're right, this kind of this was meh. So I don't know. I didn't watch it um, because I wasn't paid to. <laughs> um, but yeah, those going at the same time. Then you had even Bellator 300, the UFC event. So for 300, I've checked some of this out. Um, we lost a fight for this. We were supposed to get, uh, isn't that technically a rematch between Ryan Bader and Linton Vassell? I don't know. I don't care that much. Um, so your main card was just three title fights. Um, main event, the one, I, the only one I'm actually interested in. Uh, so Usman Nurmagomedov beats Brent Primus via wide decision, 50-45 across the board. Um, Usman Nurmagomedov is a top-tier lightweight. Uh, he's real. He's really good. He's really good. This was, um, I think, this one of the semifinals for this tournament. So he's gonna go on and fight somebody. Uh, um, who he will be fighting. He'll be fighting the winner of an upcoming fight between Alexander Shabli uh, and Patricky Pitbull. No reason not to favor Nurmagomedov the whole way. Uh, yeah, he's really good. As for the rest of that, uh, a couple of these things are worth talking about, uh, touching on briefly. Chris Cyborg squashed Katzengano, TKO 4-1 of the first. Liz Carmouche defeated Elimele McFarlane. McFarlane missed weight. The second... Second time in a row, Carmouche had an opponent miss weight. And then the ruling was, your opponent can't win the belt, but if you lose, we're vacating it. Um, she stopped, uh, Carmouche uh, stopped McFarlane with leg kicks. She had a nasty calf kick in the fifth round. Kind of a whatever fight. Um, was there on the... Liam McCourt got a surprising win over Sarah McMahon. It shouldn't have been that surprising. McMahon's 43. Um, Kai Kamaka and Henry Corrales had an okay fight. This was on here that I mentioned briefly. Um, and if you care about light heavyweights, and I don't blame you if you don't, but uh, Dovlitz Dons Yagshimordadov um, got a win. And I don't hate that guy. Been up and down in Bellator a little bit, but... Um, yeah. Again, his, his Bellator run at the moment, he lost to Corey Anderson, lost to Carl Albertson. That was a bit of an upset. 
Then he beat Rafael Carvalho, Julius Anglicas, and here he beat, I would butcher this gentleman's name. I, the fact that I get through Dovlitz Dan Yagshimordov with a degree of not sounding like a complete tool, hopefully. Uh, he beat, uh, what, Mace, Masije, um, Lozanski? Where is that guy from? Hang on, I, now I must know. I assume Poland? But I wish to be sure because there's a few different few different places that could have, he could be from. Yeah, Poland. So I have no faith in my pronunciation of his last name in particular. Okay. Anyway. Um. Yeah. Here's the thing about Bellator. This felt a little bit like um, this. Uh, this isn't the last Bellator event. They've announced a couple of others, but rumor has it again, Viacom's looking to unload them. PFL might be buying them. There's talk that PFL will continue to have Bellator be a separate entity. Unless you're doing this to rent out broadcast contracts, that's a mistake. There's no value in Bellator as a brand. Bring their roster in, which is quite good. Bring in their library of fights and consolidate it into a genuinely second, genuine number two promotion in the United States, maybe in the world. If you put Bellator and PFL's rosters together, yeah, you would have the number two worldwide promotion behind the UFC. I feel pretty confident saying that. So, yeah, again, there were other fights there, but yeah, it, as a in the spirit of the like proper send-off, so to speak, for Bellator, you know, I've dogged them on occasion because they kind of deserve it, but you know, they've been around for a long time, and that's nothing to sneeze at in the MMA landscape. And at times, they've been a decent enough alternative to the UFC, so my jokes at their expense aside, they've got some good fighters, and they put on some pretty good fights on occasion, if you know how to be discerning about that, so. Uh, yeah, I think that's all I have there. Um, other stuff from the Combat Sports Weekend, very briefly. I think the only thing worth uh, mentioning, I... So there was a boxing event, and Mark Radulich, my good friend, hit me up and said, hey, walk at... the ring walks are supposed to be around 11 p.m. Eastern. That's 9 my time. Can you make that with the UFC coverage and whatnot? And I said, yeah. UFC event should be done by 8, if you assume 6 hours, and I was for the sake of blocking out time. And then I had a, I think I had something else to do. I was like, yeah, I can be back by 9. So that's what I got done. The UFC event wrapped up a little after 7, so I was happy. But I get back around, like, I get back to, like, messages and stuff. Um, I think a little after 8. I get 20. To a message that's older from Mark going, Hey, turns out the undercard kind of speed ran everything, and I think they're about ready to make their main event walks. And this... So I, you know, desperately got on the call, and we're like, after... We had just closed out, like, the fourth or fifth round of this fight between uh, Gabriel Ramirez, better known as Zerto, and Joe Smith Jr. <laughs> and I said to tell Mark, like, I'm sorry, here's the thing about this. In boxing, most of the time the ring walks are later than acknowledged, and they are because 
like the 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 high level pros don't care about your broadcast. <laughs> like no, ring walk is between. This is the window. I'm not going earlier than that. I guess you know these two guys didn't have enough of a profile to go. Hey, you know we don't want to go yet. We're still kind of warming up. We we shouldn't be walking for another hour. But. So Mark and I kind of called the last bit of that and got to call some BS on boxing scoring again. I didn't object to Zerto winning, but the official scores were it's a 10-round fight. All of them being 99 to 91, little bit no. Um, Smith had a, I think we Mark and I kind of tabulated out. I mean, we had Smith taking at least three. I think we each get again Ramirez winning, cool. I don't object. I thought he won. These particulars of the scorecards um, did not agree with. Not much. And but anyway, there we are. Uh, let's see. Okay, as for news, yeah, I gotta talk about this. So, Conor McGregor intimated that he was he had put his um, stuff in the USADA pool via some post on a social media platform. Dana White confirmed last night at the post-fight press conference that, yes, Connor's paperwork has been in. It still doesn't matter. I don't care. Here's here's kind of my thought process behind this. So, Connor already basically cheated the system, which I'm not, I'm not even mad at him for, okay? Dude suffered a pretty horrific injury, and... If you go outside, USADA's theoretical purview should end there. Suffered catastrophic injury, USADA gets to go away. My opinion. But because USADA is run by zealots, and not thinking rational human beings, uh, so Connor just basically effed off and did whatever he wanted to while recovering from that. And again, not mad at him. I got issues with Connor, this is not one of them. Then I just and made a movie, and that's gonna suck. And you know, all that same crap we've been seeing. So apparently, he finally got enough of it out of his system that he's willing to get back in the USADA testing pool. They have not tested him yet, and the, it probably wouldn't matter anyway. Even if he, like, are we gonna pretend that the UFC isn't gonna just make way for Connor at this point? Now, the, the shift in timelines here would mean that instead of... Because the original thing was he and Michael Chandler are going to have the thing and the tough season, and then they're going to fight at the end of that, and then, okay, they never signed contracts. So when are they going to fight? Well, at the end of the season. Okay, how about, how about now? 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 And to the point where, like, no, he won't even be fighting in December. At the moment, at this moment in time, the only sort of timeline that makes sense now would be putting Connor at UFC 300. That's just kind of where we are, and I think they'll do it. I'm not even mad at anyone involved. I just this is a, I I am so over the entire existence of Connor McGregor as it pertains to things I have to talk about. I don't care. Look, did he get on the gear for a movie role in to rehab an injury? Yes. You have to be an idiot to think he didn't. Of course he did. No penalties were assigned. He never... Whatever. Don't care. I don't care. 
I genuinely don't care. Everyone in Hollywood's on something to look good for the camera between roids and then weight cutting and what. I don't, I just wish they were honest about it. But no, of course we can't be honest about it. But I don't care. And recovering from that kind of a serious injury, my man, you do whatever you feel is best. I do not care. I do not care at all. So there's that. Now, apparently, again, we're looking at him and Michael Chandler in all probability at UFC 300. I still don't care. I look, Connor's got like this one in him and then he's done. And we're really thinking he's going to be around on a regular basis at this point. No, he's not. And I don't even know how much I like his chances against Chandler. I mean, I like them better than against certain people, but I'm not going to be shocked if Chandler goes out there and beats him. Not one bit. But he is theoretically back in the pool. Watch him fail drug tests. Please. I want maximum carnage. Chaos. Not carnage. I want maximal chaos. Connor getting back in the pool, instantly failing drug tests, would make me so happy in that respect. Um, yeah, all right. I think that's everything I have for news. So let's check the old uh, social media account. See if anything crazy is happening over there. If not, we will do plugs and then get out of here. All right, nothing new there. Well, nothing I'm going to talk about here at any rate. There's stuff happening in the world, but we li- I try to limit the scope of this podcast to MMA and things immediately related to it, which occasionally does move out into other areas, but we're going to leave it at that today, I think. All right, uh, last week, myself and Mark Radlich got together and we reviewed Saw X, which was an interesting discussion because he hasn't seen much of the franchise and is not a big fan of the gore. As a guy who's somewhere between like a fourth and a fifth blood, uh, gorehound, not bloodhound, gorehound, eh, didn't bother me, but we talked about that. Um, this week, Monday, back on Mondays, per you, uh, which is our more regular time slot for Damian Hollywood these days, uh, we will be reviewing The Creator, which is Gareth Ed- the new Gareth Edwards movie, his first shot as a writer and director. He's directed some stuff I've enjoyed, so we're gonna, Mark and I are going to see it. We'll talk about it. That'll be fun. My usual spate of professional wrestling and MMA coverage, MLW stuff on Thursday, WWE SmackDown on Friday, UFC event on Saturday, and we are back here next week to review UFC on ESPN Plus 88 and preview UFC on ESPN. Uh, Preview, UFC 294. So we'll be back to preview that. And yeah, that's it for me. Thank you all very, very much for listening. I appreciate the heck out of you. Stay safe out there. Things are getting crazy. And please continue to be well, be safe, and behave.